Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at what has shifted in markets and central bank policies as we enter an era of rising interest rates, where you might be tempted to look for comfort, and how to make better investment decisions by understanding yourself better. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Robert Smith, Head of Behavioural Finance, and Jean-Paul Yeagers, Head of Asset Allocation. Welcome to today's Word on the Street podcast. This week may seem slightly calmer from a political perspective, especially in comparison to the last few weeks, but there is still a lot going on in markets and the broader economy, which can provide a lot of uncertainty for investors. So this week, we are going to be continuing to discuss what we see in markets and central bank policy moves, where you might be tempted to look for comfort and how to make better investment decisions by understanding yourself better. This week, I'm pleased to be joined by JP Jagers, Head of Asset Allocation, and Rob Smith, our Head of Behavioural Finance. JP, I'm going to come to you first. For UK investors, it feels like a very turbulent last few weeks. What has been happening this week in terms of the economy and markets? Hello, Sarah. Yes, that's a good way to describe it, turbulence. So as as the theme has been most of this year, it has been around central banks, policy rates, and how markets respond to that. So we had last week the Bank of Canada, the uh, RBA in Australia raising policy rates. This week we had a Federal Reserve in the US upping the policy rates by 75 basis points. So now they are at 4%. And the Bank of England increased their policy rates by 75 basis points. They are now at 3%. So the era of zero policy rates uh, seemed almost like a long time ago. And as we've had most of this year is investors trying to work out whether the the glass is half full or half empty. If we look to the US labor market, also this week in the data, we see that the labor market in the US remains actually quite strong. But we do see that the US housing market, for example, is starting to weaken. Uh, So investors either can see that the labor market remains strong and we see gas prices and commodities starting to roll over, so the glass remains half full. Or we see a lot of investors trying to work out, well, interest rates have been going up for quite some time to quite elevated levels. Inflation is not budging yet, and the housing market starts to weaken. Does this result in a recession, yes or no? And they will see this as the glass being half empty. That's one of the reasons why we have seen large swings and actually a lot of volatility in financial markets. Okay, interesting. Rob, so it's a difficult backdrop to be an investor at the moment, or indeed for anybody lucky enough to have some savings and be considering investing at this point. What effects can this have? As you say, it's it's not a, an easy backdrop. And as JP was just talking about, you know, turbulent is perhaps an understatement of uh, some of the events of recent weeks and months, especially when you consider the UK and our political landscape. But it's worth reflecting that it can rarely feel like a really good time to invest as someone you know looking to, to get invested or, or stay invested even during periods where we'd say the backdrop looks much kind of rosier there's often fears of you know when when the thing's going to turn you know it's been good for too many months now when's it going to be bad you know and and there's always parts of, of the market you know there are always people willing to sort of be talking about the next doomsday crisis around the corner that, that people latch onto. but I think in current events or the current environment, I should say, really, especially for those UK investors, has no doubt heightened kind of nervousness and made uncertainty in the markets a little bit more tangible because it feels a little bit close to home with all that's kind of going on in our political landscape, whether it's relevant or not. 
And I think at the end of a, a, you know, a, a longish period now of not great performance in, in markets, it's really been testing uh, investors' composure. So the uncertainty that, that we've, we've discussed in terms of you know, the glass being half full or half empty, coupled with rising interest rates, cash is you know, becoming a more appealing place to seek emotional comfort, as you would expect in, in some ways. And I, even for those who can understand that being invested in a well-diversified portfolio is the rational thing, I say in inverted commas, over the longer term, it doesn't diminish you know, the appeal of that short-term kind of relief that, that cash provides and, and the certainty of that. Yeah, it's interesting. So JP, I know that one of our asset classes is cash and short maturity bonds. How do you view this asset class and its role in our portfolios? So when we have our multi-asset uh, products, then cash in some sense, or cash and short maturity bonds, serve, I would probably say, like two, two purposes. One of it is you think about how you put portfolios together. It's on a spectrum of risk tolerance. So you could have some clients who are willing and able to take a lot of risk, so they get a more fully invested multi-asset portfolio with a small proportion of cash, but there might also be client base who have less tolerance or willingness uh, to take risk or are more risk averse, who have a larger proportion of cash in their portfolios and are able by that proportion of cash to take some risk assets in portfolio as well. The second point is probably if you think about how you construct or devise a portfolio, it's that when we build an SEA, and that's the strategic composition of the long term of portfolios, it's not that you just invest everything across a range of different assets. So part of that modeling exercise is to look at how attractive it is to get invested. And that means that if you invest in a multi-asset product or build a multi-asset portfolio, sometimes cash proportions might be a little bit higher than other times. And that essentially is just the shock absorber for times when the prospects for investing look slightly less rosy. So that means for a balanced portfolio, you could have low proportions of cash, say 2%, but the range could also go up to closer to, say, 8%. And it all depends on the prospects of investing across the board. Excellent. Thank you. So, Rob, in our latest In Focus article, you wrote about how investors can potentially learn from professional poker players. It sounded really interesting, but also made me think about, should we be taking tips from gamblers? Can you tell me a little bit more here? Yeah, so I think first I want to differentiate between obviously investing and simply speculating. You know, there is a a big difference, but the best and the most successful poker players are not simply sort of speculating, you know, as as the word gambling would necessarily uh, indicate. The lines of parallels I draw is, you know, like investing, they have to deal with uncertainty. They think in probabilities and are good at managing risk and their emotions. So some of the same things you'd, you'd think about as an investor. And actually, in a, in a similar fashion to you know, investing, rather than focusing on you know, making the decision that results in the best outcome every time, which actually in an uncertain environment can only be known in hindsight, you, you focus on you know, avoiding the bad decisions, having a good process and avoiding the bad decisions so that you're able then to take advantage of the opportunities that exist by you know, being there for the longer term. And I think that you know, there, are, there are lines of parallel to be drawn with investing there. And I think for me, the, the, the biggest learning really is when you listen to the most you know, skillful and, and, and well, really, realistically successful poker players, you know, they talk about their emotions, they talk about being very aware of their emotions and really having the ability to reflect on what they're feeling 
and where that's being driven from and how that's being driven. And then this allows them to then understand, okay, are these feelings that are making me want to make a decision, are they relevant or are they not relevant? Are they being driven by my fear of a loss that, that, that may be exaggerated? Is it because, you know, I lost in a previous hand and I'm angry at the person and I want revenge, which is obviously in a relevant emotional kind of context versus something that actually, you know, is more genuine and should be factored into the decision process. Mm, very interesting. JP, staying on the topic of emotions, reflecting on, wanted to reflect on whether the causes are relevant to investment decisions. How are we currently positioned from a tactical short-term perspective? And what are we doing to protect and or provide opportunities for our investors? Mm, that's an interesting question. So it's at the moment, we, as we said at the beginning, we see central banks lifting policy rates inflation remains rather sticky. So we think actually the prospects for developed market equities are a little bit more bleaker than normal. So we're underweight in portfolios and with underweight, I'll explain that in a second, we underweight developed market uh, stocks. At the same time, we think a lot of expectations for inflation and central banks to key continue upping policy rates are embedded in bond prices. So in portfolios, we own a little bit more bonds and a little bit less stocks than we usually would. Important here is to qualify, I mentioned the word overweight and underweight, is that those are small tills within a portfolio that is broadly diversified. And the example that, that Rob mentioned at the beginning, the turbulence of the political landscape in the UK, but even if we think back to the pandemic, a lot of events can simply not be anticipated. And if you have a broadly diversified portfolio, you're probably best off in investing for the long term. And those yeah, swings in financial markets, those near-term expectations are small adaptations to those portfolio weights. So at the moment, we're a little bit more defensive in portfolios, but that's within a portfolio that's broadly diversified. Yeah, thanks, JP. That's helpful. And hopefully that provides some comfort to those invested in our portfolios and funds. Rob, maybe you could help listeners by reflecting on some of the behavioural drivers that may be the root causes of the emotional responses that we are subject to as investors. Yeah, so I guess, you know, Going back to that point we talked about earlier about the poker players being aware of, of their emotions and reflecting on, on what the causes and the drivers of those are. I think the reality is there's, there's lots of different factors that are influencing you know, our, our behavior and our decision making. And it, it is really pretty complex how they all interact. But there are a few that are probably worth kind of pointing out specifically, which is I think the first one that we see a lot is the tendency to put sort of too much weight on like more recent information or information that w- what we say is sort of salient so it's kind of obvious and easy to interpret and trends this is often called the recency bias and can also lead us into often oversimplified thinking where you know we just sort of infer that some of those trends will continue regardless of whether the wider context and, and a more kind of deeper reasoning suggests that that's actually likely and this can often lead to a a sort of base case scenario in our minds that is actually, you know, closer to a worst or best case, depending on, you know, what sort of trend you're simply forecasting out into the future. But it can can create a a base case that's much closer to a worst or best case scenario than an actual more balanced probabilistic view kind of would. And another one that I think is worth mentioning is, is our desire to minimize regret. Now, it's something that obviously impacts individuals uh, differently and I'm sure if we're not one of them everyone knows someone who likes to maybe put off a decision to the last moment because they're worried about the the impact of making a decision and how that's going to you know reduce the world of opportunities for them but the reality is that you know it can 
often be combined with our need to, to feel in control of a situation and want to do something. So something that's re- recorded as the action bias, you know, a desire to want to take action. So that combined with us not wanting to fear too much regret can often, you know, lead us to making big changes in our in the way that we're invested, often, you know, moving to safer asset classes during times like this, or potentially, you know, when times are going much better, overweighting riskier asset classes. And, you know, the reality is that some level of regret avoiding is 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 probably good and is is you know it's going to be hard to get rid of but using that solely as a basis for for decision making is not the most sensible way forward because the fact is that there are always going to be reasons to be regretful and i think it will lead to maintained and sustained inaction and in an investing context that means often like sitting out of the markets and you you wait and you wait and you wait and you continue to wait for that good time uh, to invest to when it seems like oh that there can be no regret to this decision but the reality is a that that doesn't exist and actually when that time does exist it's usually you know we're well into a uh, you know an up a, you know market up cycle which isn't necessarily the best time to start investing having had the opportunity to do so earlier yeah that's really interesting and um, JP maybe turn to you for the last question so you mentioned earlier around the small changes that we make in our portfolios but picking up from what Rob just mentioned, a question that might seem obvious is why don't we make our investment journey more comfortable um, and position our portfolios more in gilts or cash during this period? So as, as Rob just mentioned, there is a whole list of biases and emotions that first of all, you need to overcome. But let's assume for the moment that you can put them to zero and be completely insensitive to those. Then if you make large wholesale changes in portfolios to bonds if they are attractive or into cash if it's attractive that w- that would imply that you have almost persistent foresight is what's going to happen next and emotionally that might feel very tempting if there's volatility to sell what's risky and once it's more calmer waters you start investing but unfortunately it's not that easy and we simply don't have the the, the glass ball to uh, to give us the perfect future and as the whole philosophy why we think that if you invest more broadly, diversified, you're probably best prepared for the many potential futures that may come. And along the way, we can make some small changes, but we need to do that with a healthy dose of humility. There is very little we know about the exact future that has not been embedded in financial markets. Very interesting and a great way to end today's podcast. So thank you, Rob, and thank you, JP, for joining me today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Look forward to um, doing another one of these again next week. Thank you. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.